everyone needs a pastor. A Visit to the Pastor study brings biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you and pastoral ministry from those with proven experience in Christian service. Our time together will be lively, sometimes controversial, always useful, and never dull. Welcome to the study of Pastor Bill Shishko. And this is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you. Great to have you with us for another Visit to the Pastor's Study. Exciting, remarkable, thrilling, breathtaking. And I'll even use the much overused exclamation, awesome. These and, and so many other vivid words just, just begin to capture the excitement of God's work in the world that we call, rather blandly actually, missions, or sometimes home missions and foreign missions. On all of our very legitimate concerns for both the church and the world, we lose sight of the fact that over less than two millennia, we have witnessed the most remarkable growth of the kingdom of God in the world, beginning with 3,000 converted to Jesus the Messiah on the day of Pentecost. We've come to a day in which about one-third of the approximately 7 billion people who inhabit the six of our seven inhabited continents are in, in one way or another identified with the true Jesus movement, Christian faith, and the Christian church. From the missionary tours of the Apostle Paul and his associates in the Bible Book of Acts, through the evangelistic efforts of the early Christians who were scattered abroad, bringing the message of the good news of Christ's victory over sin and death, into the centuries of what's been called the spreading flame, Christian missionary labors of all sorts, and to our present day when well, foreign missions and home missions unite through media like this radio program that can reach locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally simultaneously. I mean, when you see that, you cannot escape seeing the amazing outworking of King Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all the nations, like the, the tiny mustard seed that grows into a large tree, or the smidgen of leaven that eventually leavens a whole lump of dough. So just, just as Jesus predicted, the kingdom of God is expanding year by year, century by century, and is filling the earth with its influence on the hearts of men and women and children and families, extended families, tribes, and nations. Now, that's not to say that the picture of God's missionary work in the world was or is always a rosy one. For centuries and up to the present, the purity of the Christian faith has often been compromised by blending it with anti-Christian religions, philosophies, customs, and mindsets. Formal identification with Christ by Christian baptism was and is today too often separated from the lifelong discipleship process of teaching the baptized to keep all that Christ commanded as both the fulfillment of the scriptures of the Old Testament and also as the substance and cornerstone of the New Testament. And when such teaching is done, well, the teaching has been and still is all too often doctrinally deficient or blatantly incorrect. And then add to all of this the challenges of non-Christian religions and antagonistic governments and other power structures that, humanly speaking, pose either formidable competition or fearful opposition to the growth of the Christian church in the world. As Jesus himself taught us, gospel wheat 
will always be in the midst of anti-gospel weeds, and weeds constantly threaten the growth of healthy plants. Well, particularly since the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, Christian leaders have given much thought to missions, both home and foreign missions, both in principle and in practice. Convinced that God's grace is growing in the world, some of the greatest minds and hearts of Christendom in the past 500 years have analyzed through the lens of Holy Scripture how God, who is really the great missionary, by his word and spirit is saving people, establishing churches, kindling the fires of the revival of true religion, and gathering together the church universal. And some of the greatest laborers during that same time period have put into practice missionary efforts to preach the gospel, to teach the whole counsel of God given in Holy Scripture, to harness the gifts the reigning Jesus gives to his people, and to unleash the gifts and those who possess them for innumerable mission fields that further the eternal well-being of all classes of people in literally every nation on the earth. Exciting, remarkable, thrilling, breathtaking, awesome. Yeah, those are the words to describe God's missionary work in the world, particularly the work of seeing that the gospel is brought to people of every tongue and every tribe and every nation. But how do you do God's work in God's way? What are the basic biblical principles that form a framework for thinking about missions, especially foreign missions? And how do we fill in the picture so that the way we look at the enterprise of bringing the good news of the kingdom of God to all the earth is the way God himself wants us to see the picture. Well, that's what we're going to begin to explore on today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study, Missions, Doing God's Work in God's Way. Now, there's no doubt that my guest today is well qualified to speak with us about this subject, a theme that goes really right to the heart of God himself, God the great missionary. Mark Bube, a graduate of Stanford University, was trained and served as a lawyer for many years before over a quarter of a century ago he was called to serve as General Secretary of the Committee on Foreign Missions for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And in this capacity, and as one of the official representatives of the foreign missions delegations of groups like the North American Presbyterian and Reformed Council, and the International Conference of Reformed Churches. Mark Bube has traveled throughout the world investigating, encouraging, facilitating, and promoting the work of biblically faithful foreign missions. I simply do not know of anyone more steeped in the fascinating history of foreign missions and at the same time more articulate in explaining how foreign missions, in fact, well, frankly, all mission work, is to be done according to God's word, both in principle and in practice. And today, he joins us to help us think through missions doing God's work in God's way. Remember that this program enables you and invites you to call in with your questions. Our live call-in number, I hope you'll jot it down. If you'd like to be on the program with your questions, 631 955 Five four zero zero again. That live call in number six three one nine five 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 four zero zero. And you can also text your questions at this special number for Pastor Bill. Put that in your 
device, your handheld device that way for Pastor Bill. Text questions 516-367-0391. Text questions only 516-367-0391. But for now, hey, Mark Bue, welcome to a visit to the pastor's study. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be here. Ah, great to have you with us, Mark. Um, I I do not know of anyone who's more of a world traveler in connection with uh, with foreign missions. You've had over twenty five years of that experience, and uh, I, I'm probably you've lost count of the number of fields you've been on. But but let's begin. What are some of your your general observations, positively and negatively, that you would make about, if I could call it this way, the state of foreign missions today? Yeah, thanks, Bill. I, I guess I'd like to just start out by setting a perspective. Sure. And, and that is, in all of this, what we're engaged upon in missions is a supernatural work. And we never want to take our eyes off of that. Uh, people come and go, churches come and go, particular expressions of them. But the work that Christ gave his church to do is ultimately dependent upon him to carry it out. You know, um, uh, Machen, in, in early writing in the last century, would write that the uh, truly penitent man glories in the supernatural, for he knows that nothing natural would meet his need. Yeah. Isn't that a great, what a great quotation that is. It, it sure is. It sure is. And, you know, Van Til would, would write about a point of contact that, your missionary has with every other human being walking upon the face of this earth. For when he writes deep down in his mind, every man knows that he is a creature of God and responsible to God. And, and for our audience, just, just so you know, uh, Mark is referring to Dr. J. Gresham Machen, who was the uh, the leader of the so-called fundamentalist uh, movement in the early part of the 20th century holding forth for the, the fundamentals of the Christian faith over against what was then called modernism. And Van Til is Dr. Cornelius Van Til, who uh, was really the, the, the foremost defender of the Christian faith uh, in the middle part of the 20th century. So sorry to interrupt, Mark, but filling in listeners who may not be familiar with these very important names. No problem at all, Bill. And, and so... When we see opposition to the gospel today, we expect that, because the world, the secular viewpoints of today, are adamantly opposed to anything supernatural. And so we expect that there will be strong opposition by those who, as the scriptures say, what will say in their minds, does God really see? Denying him. Okay. And yet, God's people walk by faith. We're strangers and exiles on this earth. We desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And so we delight in seeing our God display his power for his glory to confound the mighty. Glorious. Wonderful. We know as well that the preaching of the cross is, yes, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so as we go forth sending missionaries, whether into our neighborhoods around where we are or to the ends of the earth, we go in the power and in the strength of Christ alone, keeping in mind his, his great commission to his church. Matthew uh, 28, 16 to 20, contains a divine warrant. Christ declares, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
a divine mandate to go and make disciples and baptize and teach, and a divine promise, because the first two are impossible without the promise, a divine promise that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that a glorious comfort that when you go out that Jesus has, despite what you what you see around you, because we do, as you say, walk by faith, not by sight, that Christ is king, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's, that's glorious. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And this work carries on, will carry on, until Christ comes again, even to the end of the age. You know, our, our Westminster Standards uh, summarize uh, part of this teaching of Scripture in, in chapter 25, section 3, because it, it is to the, the Catholic, the universal, visible Church, that Christ has given the means of grace for the gathering and perfecting, building up of the saints in this life to the end of the world. Excellent. That is the work of the Church, using the means that Christ has given to the Church. Excellent. And again, this is impossible unless Christ does fulfill his promise by his Spirit to make the means of grace effectual for this purpose. Excellent. Wonderful way to give us perspective. You're, you're welcome, Bill. You know, you, you, I travel quite a bit. You get on an airplane, you're sitting next to somebody, and, uh, you know, he or she says, well, what do you do? And you tell them you're working in missions, and if they don't get up and ask to be reassigned and actually stay there with you, and you drill down a couple of levels, they ask you, well, what is missions? Right. And if you were to drill it down to its very basics, what do we do in missions? In missions, we establish the worship of God, and we cast the net to bring his people in to that worship. That's the fundamentals of what we do in missions. Now, it's interesting, Mark, that you begin with, we establish the worship of God, whereas most evangelicals, in America at least, would say, we want to see people brought to faith in Christ. Uh, how do you how would how do you respond to, to that uh, seeming contradiction? Well, there, there isn't a contradiction. I, you know, I, I guess I'm indebted to John Piper, his wonderful little book, uh, "Let the Nations Be Glad." Uh, he writes, "Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is." And, and here's the money line: Missions exists because worship. Doesn't isn't that, isn't that a priceless <laughs> statement? Yeah, sure. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, yeah. not man. Yeah. How often we need to be reminded that that as wonderful as our salvation is, that's not the ultimate. The glory of God is, and worship is giving God glory. Amen. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God. Missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Indeed, our worship here in this life is preparing us for our eternal calling and vocation, that is, worshiping God face-to-face. And enjoying Him, isn't that? Amen. Yeah, chatting with somebody. And I want to get to the the question about general observations, but just communicating with someone this week about the Lord's Day 
and this whole issue of morning and evening worship, I said, emphasize the fact that the Lord's Day in worship is a day of, of feasting on God and enjoying Amen. Him. And, and you can't get enough of that. Okay, pause, uh, observation. I realize it's a huge topic. We could spend just a program just on this. Just some general observations, Mark, positively and negatively, that you'd make about the state of foreign missions today from what you've observed. Well, I mean, I think you, you've already alluded to one, and that is if you separate worship and netcasting, you end up with a colossal mess. Yeah, interesting. Okay. The whole purpose of net, of casting the net, of, of telling others of Christ, is to bring them in to worship God. Well, we're not out there counting scalps. We're out there hopefully gathering Christ's people in to his worship. And so that's always been one of the big challenges, and it reflects itself uh, in many different ways. I think you and I remember going to Suriname, what's it got to be, 25, 26 years ago? Exactly, shortly after you became General Secretary of Foreign Missions. You bet. And you know, Suriname is, is former Dutch Guyana. It's on the north coast of South America. And because of its proximity to North America, it has been deluged by prosperity gospel, easy believism, uh, revival-type ministries that have flown in, done their thing for a week or two, uh, collected uh, thousands of converts, and then flown home, and the lives of the converts don't change appreciably at all. Uh, what it ends up doing is inoculating them against the gospel because they look back and say, hey, you know, I already gave my life to Jesus, now leave me alone. Rather than confronting their sin, wrestling with it, repenting of it, and then fleeing in faith to Christ and joining with his people in that very uh, struggle of our pilgrimage on this earth. And we need brothers and sisters in Christ to help us in that walk. Yeah, so it's a separation of decision for Christ from discipleship in Christ, right? That's right. It's forgetting I, the teaching them to observe all that uh, I have commanded you. Yeah, I've got a, a very dear uh, black pastor friend who's want, who's want to say there's a lot of people who like to catch the fish. There's very few that like to clean them. I love that picture, Isn't that Bill. Great? Isn't that great? So, so, Mark, am I right that that I mean, you, you read of groups that will speak about lots of decisions for Jesus on on foreign fields. They'll show a film or something like that, and they get these decisions for Jesus. Am I right then that that that's that, that's not always connected with getting these bodies of people into churches or forming churches? Sadly, that is the case. Um, if you're in a place where there isn't a church already that you can commend these converts to, what are they going to do? No. You know, it, it, I mean, it's just that that's why you send missionaries. You may also send people down to do special programs and things like that. I'm, I'm not, again, again, uh, wide preaching of the word here and there, but it's always in connection with... As the Holy Spirit uses the word that's preached, and he begins to provoke a response in someone's heart, and they ask, what should I do? The answer is, you see the church down there? This Sunday, you need to start getting yourself under the preaching of God's word, that you may learn about this Lord who's calling you to himself. You may grow in knowledge and wisdom and grace, and you may one day uh, confess 
faith in him and be baptized, receive the mark that marks you as belonging to him. And I would imagine, Mark, that we're going to take a break. Uh, you, you folks work with existing churches as far as you can, correct? We do both, and we can talk about that strategy question, I guess, coming after the break. Sure, and we will do that. My guest today, Mark Bube, who is General Secretary for Foreign Missions for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and brings over a quarter century of experience to this fascinating work. We're going to get into the specific uh, topic, missions doing God's work in God's way, but first of all, this message from the voice of a visit to the pastor's study. That great city, New York. Metropolitan New York is the largest city in the United States. And with a population of over 20 million people, Metro New York is one of the largest cities in the world. And what's more, Metro New York is home to people from every nation of the world. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. But churches faithful to historic Reformation Christianity in the Metro New York area are few and far between. The mission fields of Metro New York are America's richest, and most neglected. Reformation Metro New York is an agency by which the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is planting and developing biblically faithful churches and church ministries in the Metro New York area. Through Reformation Metro New York, you can help promote the outreach of this program, a visit to the pastor's study, and other projects designed to further the ongoing reformation of the church. That and church planting are the great passions of Reformation Metro New York. For more information, Information, check out the website at ReformationMetroNY.org where you'll get a personal look at the ministries of the churches, pastors, evangelists, and teachers of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in the area, and you'll learn how you can be a part of our labors. We need your help. Here's the site again, ReformationMetroNY.org. Thanks for your interest and your help. Remember that great city, New York. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. Now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Pastor Bill Shishko here with you today. My guest is Mark Bube, General Secretary of Foreign Missions for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I'd like to call in with your questions or perhaps even some of your observations about foreign mission work. 631 955 Five four zero zero six three one nine five 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 four zero zero. Also, the text number, and you can use that any time during the week for your questions, comments. Five one six three six seven zero three nine one. That would be text questions for Pastor Bill. Five one six three six seven zero three nine one. Mark Bube, historically, at least, well, at least since the Protestant Reformation. What have been some of the guiding principles for doing foreign missions as God intends them to be done? Well, I think first and foremost is going to be, as we alluded to earlier, the use of the ordinary and outward means of grace. God's Word, prayer, and the sacraments. These are the means that Christ has given to his church to gather and build up his people. And any time we start going beyond them with human devices or things like that, we almost inevitably end up going off the path. Okay. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting you use that. Of course, we could spend a lot of time on it. I, I, I hear the term the ordinary means of grace, preaching the, uh, the, the preaching prayer, the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper. However, they're anything but ordinary because right. God uses them to save the lost and to build up his church. 
Yep. Yep. Okay. They're, they're ordinary and then used supernaturally. Yeah. Yeah, very, very much like Christ himself, who was both a God and man. There's the exaltation and, and uh, you know, there's the exaltation and the humiliation of Christ, and there's his deity anyway. But, okay, so so the, the means of grace, preaching, prayer, uh, the, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, I think we could even add fellowship to that as they do in Acts 2.42. Other there principles, is. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I guess, you know, so, some pitfalls along the way. We, we're convinced that the Bible teaches uh, a polity in the body of Christ that is, is Presbyterian in its structure. All right, now flesh and, that out for everybody, okay? <laughs> so they don't pardon? think we're, flesh that out so they don't think we're sectarian when we say that. There you go. You know, when, when Christ sent out the apostles and, and the early missionaries, he sent them two by two. And... Again, much of what we see today on the on the mission field sadly ends up being, you know, a man's name, comma, Inc. Incorporated Ministries. And, you know, you go out and, and you have no accountability, no mutual oversight, uh, and none of us are perfect. We all need the um, the rubbing shoulders with brothers of like faith and practice as we go about our labors. Uh, in, in Presbyterianism, it's, it's a very simple. We believe that uh, Christ's church should be ruled by presbyters or elders. That's just the Greek word for elders. And uh, they form a session in the local congregation, and they form presbyteries in regions and general assemblies in nations. But one of the fundamentals in there is, is a plurality of decision-makers at all times. So, so what do you do on a field, Mark, when you're they're new converts? Do you start out immediately training men for the eldership and the, and the diaconate? Well, you even before then, because remember everything that we do in Christ Church in ministry, but especially in missions, we're also teaching. Okay, and we're teaching by example. So, sending one man off to a mission field by himself without any real prospect of sending a colleague to join him, is already should be a big red flag. All right, so your norm in, in Orthodox Presbyterian foreign missions is to send at least a missionary team, a, a couple of ministers, correct? At least two. Our, our policy guidelines call for four missionary families on every fully operational field. Now, you go through a period of time developing that, but the goal is four families, and we mean evangelists, ordained ministers, handling God's word or rightly on every fully operational mission field we have. And then, so they're essentially, they are modeling when they get there what you want the churches that you are helping to develop to have, correct? Bingo. Right. That is right. You know, so much of the world, you're still into a big man culture. Right. Where you know you've got yesterday's witch doctor or chief is now today's pastor, and the decision making never really changes. He's still in charge. He's calling all the shots, and that is not biblical. Right. Okay. Is, is what, it, how isn't it interesting? I mean, I'm thinking particularly in Africa, and I know this is true in other cultures. On the one hand, you'll have uh, tribes with elders, plural, that that lead. And but then you'll also have tribes in which you have the you have the the big strong man, so to speak. It's almost like there's analogies within the church, right? Mm-hmm. 
Although, you know, I, I mean, my reflections have generally tended along where where Christ isn't present, our own sinful national ambitions almost yep. always promote the rise of the big man. Uh, interesting, interesting. And and it's only when we learn self restraint, which is a fruit of the spirit, that we're actually ever able to practice biblical Presbyterianism. Interesting. So that so we have we have the use of the means of grace, uh, preaching, prayer, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to put fellowship in there. And sure. then right at the outset, the formation of a biblical form of church government. What else? I'm thinking, Mark. Of the of the principles that were developed by John Nevius in the 19th century in China, sure. uh, the, the self-propagating and uh, and self-funding, and as you've mentioned, the self-governing. Those those you still regard as fundamental principles to follow in missions. Of course, of course. I mean, the the goal of our own mission work, no matter where we send missionaries, is the same. It's the establishment of a healthy indigenous national church, and by that we mean at least a presbytery or a body that has the uh, capacity to be able to ordain ministers of the gospel. Oh, right. And again, and for... then it has several characteristics. Okay, so um, give them. For, first and foremost is that it, it itself is firmly and fully committed to the system of doctrine which the Scriptures teach. And we, of course, in our own particular tradition, are convinced that uh, the Reformed standards, whether they be the Westminster standards or the three forms of unity, are, are a good summary of the system of doctrine that the Scriptures teach. And you teach towards an understanding of standards because that makes it possible for you down the road to set fences, to have biblical church discipline, and also to have biblical relationships with other churches. Yes, excellent, excellent. Yes, so you're really able to practice, in a real sense, the Catholicity of the church, the universality of the church, by having those doctrinal standards, because you know what the boundaries are. You bet, you bet. And then a church that is, as you refer to, the the Nevius uh, three-self, fully, uh, um, and all of this, of course, is by God's grace, self-supporting, self-governing, and self-propagating. And depending, again, where you start, if you're starting from scratch, that self-becoming self-governing, self-propagating, self-supporting is at least a generation away, if not two. Interesting. Uh, very, very interesting. We're, of course, we're a kind of a microwave spirituality culture. We think of these things coming quickly, and they don't. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we've got to work in a very uh, remote piece of, of uh, northeastern Uganda. And it, in many ways, the real targets of our labors are going to be the children, the grandchildren or the great-grandchildren. I remember when you did a presentation on missions uh, for our, our presbytery, our regional group of churches, years ago. And early on, if not right at the beginning of the presentation, you said missions exist for the next generation. Never, for, obviously, obviously never forgot that. Yep. Uh, and I should add that at that time we had a man with us from a, a country that is close to the gospel, but it so happened he was with us, and he was tremendously impacted by that series because one of the reasons his nation 
had um, basically not been very favorable to American missionaries is because what they had seen was an equating of Christianity with with, uh, with Western American ideas and the fact that you emphasize the, the kingdom of God and that that's not identified with any particular national mores and norms really, really impacted him. Right, right. Again, our, our working definition, we're looking at an indigenous. Yeah. So it's not something that we would rule over from North America at any point in time. Yeah. Uh, what, what I'm struck with, quite frankly, Mark, is one of the reasons why even in the title of the program I struggle with calling it foreign missions or missions. Yeah. As you and I have discussed, these are principles we have to apply. We do it with our urban works in New York yep. City and in our own country as our nation is increasingly becoming a, a secular nation. My guest right. today is Mark Bube, who is the, uh, for over a quarter of a century, has been General Secretary of Foreign Missions for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. We've got a lot more to do on dealing with the question, uh, missions, doing God's work in God's way. Let me give Mark a break for a minute, fill you in on what appropriate after having talking about presbyteries. Now, this program is brought to you by the Presbytery of Connecticut and Southern New York of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which is basically the group of churches that compose that presbytery. And you can find those congregations in Connecticut and East Haddam, Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and in Hamden, Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church, in Mount Vernon, New York, Westchester Orthodox Presbyterian Church, Reformation Presbyterian Church in Fresh Meadows, Queens, where my fill-in host, Jonathan Shishko, is pastor. And then right here on Long Island, Orthodox Presbyterian Church in, in Franklin Square, a Trinity Church, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Syosset, and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church right near our studios in, in Bohemia. And those are all faithful ministries. We can commend them to you as churches committed to the whole counsel of God taught in Holy Scripture and with pastoral ministries that we that we encourage through this program because everyone needs a pastor. We have archives of a visit to the pastor's study and a number of them that bear on, on in one way or another on what we're discussing today, uh, lessons from foreign missions for home missions, uh, which was done by uh, one of our former Orthodox Presbyterian missionaries in Uganda, uh, Al Tricarico. Very incisive program, lessons from foreign missions for home missions, uh, because Brother Alter Carrico now serves as an Associate General Secretary of Home Missions for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Another one of, of uh, our ladies in this area who served in a closed country uh, speaks about what we call the longer short-term foreign missions experience, uh, where for over a year uh, this lady taught in a closed country, and, and her, her, her material there is rich with lessons for those of you who are thinking about a time of service overseas. And then, apropos of what we just discussed, Pastor Paul Murphy of the United Reformed Churches of North America Congregation in, in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan has a fascinating program, very illuminating program, on ministry in Manhattan. So uh, if you're bit with the missions bug, these are programs from the archives of a visit to the pastor's study that you'd want to listen to. You can check that out at www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's all one word, visitthepastorsstudy.org. Or you can get these messages on sermonaudio.com. 
www.sermonaudio, all one word, sermonaudio.com. Just search for a visit to the pastor's study. You can like us on Facebook. We'd love that. Again, a visit to the pastor's study, and we always value your questions and comments. You can email me at visitpastorbill, all one word, visitpastorbill at gmail.com. And I should add, uh, Mark Bube has mentioned uh, historic doctrinal standards for Presbyterians and uh, really what is the most mature set of statements on historic uh, Protestant, or we would often call it Reformed religion, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and also the Shorter Catechism. If you'd like a copy of G.I. Williamson's outstanding study guide to the Westminster Confession of Faith, or if you'd like a, a shorter catechism uh, that has the scripture proofs that you can look up as you go through questions like, who made you God? Um, what is man's chief end to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Uh, then all you've got to do is just email me, www.visitpastorbill at gmail.com, and we'll get uh, one or both of those into the mail to you. Mark Bube with us, uh, General Secretary of Foreign Missions, Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I keep forgetting. We'd love your phone calls. <laughs> we don't want you to forget that. Call in with 631 955 5400, 631 955 5400, or you can text your question if you're more comfortable with that. Text it to Pastor Bill 516 367. 0391-516-367-0391. All righty, Mark Bube, principles of, uh, of, we'll call them reformed missions, uh, missions con- conformed to the Word of God. Talk to us. Well, if we're going to go back to, I've always found a working definition of missions by uh, John M. L. Young, a former missionary to China, Manchuria, and Japan, to be particularly helpful. Uh, we've got, uh, what, six points to it. Mission, number one, missions is the work of the triune God. And we ne- want, never want to forget that it, this is his work. And number two, it is through his church. That Christ gave the Great Commission to his apostles and through them to his church. And it's to the church that Christ gives the means of grace and the mandate to gather and build up. Number three, then, the work of missions itself, of sending ambassadors, of Christ's ambassadors, to all the nations. Number four, what is it they do to proclaim his whole word? Number five, why do they do it? For the salvation of lost men, the establishment of indigenous churches, and the coming of God's kingdom. And number six, the big picture, all of this for the glory of God. Beautiful, beautiful. Missions is the work of the triune God through his church sending Christ's ambassadors to all nations to proclaim his whole word for the salvation of lost men, the establishment of indigenous churches, and the coming of God's kingdom, all for the glory of God. Beautiful definition. Wonderful. Now, bring, put us down on the ground with this, Mark. Uh, you've been in a lot of different fields. You not only work with Orthodox Presbyterian fields, but one way or another with others. Pick a field. You don't even have to mention the specific country. But but what does that look like down on the ground? Well, you know, I mean, if we, we come back again to establishing worship, using the means of grace, the preaching of God's Word, um, you know, sometimes our work in a particular field is going to be shaped by the circumstances that are already there. For for example, if, if you're contemplating laboring in a closed country, 
Okay. As we did many years ago, almost a quarter century ago. And uh, a young man comes to us after, right after seminary with a zeal for the gospel, but he's six foot two and blonde haired and blue eyed. Um, he would stand out uh, in that country uh, like a head taller than everybody else around, particularly in that time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if he were going to another part of the world, most of the parts of Africa that we've labored in, uh, it's very easy. You you go to the local authorities, whoever they are, the, the, the clan chief, whatever, and he has to borrow his tree. And he says yes, and you can basically stand under his tree and open God's Word afternoon after afternoon and watch the crowds grow. And Lord willing, at the end of maybe a week of doing this, you'll have a critical mass that when you say, okay, come back this coming uh, Sunday, because we're going to start uh, preaching God's Word this coming Sunday right here under the tree, you can start with a church plant. Fascinating. And, but and, in other parts of the country, world, you can't do it. You can't do that. Yeah, and to... so, you know, if you're going to keep in mind that, remember, what do we do in missions, worship, and netcasting, if we're going to start netcasting, we may be that we're going to have to trust the Lord to have already provided a context for worship that we don't even know yet, and our first several months may well be getting acclimated to the situation to discover what Christ already has going in a particular area that we can come alongside of and build up. And that that is not just true, folks, of foreign missions. <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm thinking specifically <laughs> of our own son's work in Queens, where we've said these same kinds of things. Yeah, worship, worship and netcasting. Mark, we have a call from Jose in, in the Bronx. Jose, welcome to a visit to the pastor's study. Well, thank you, Bill. And uh, Mark, I congratulate you for the work you're doing uh, in foreign countries. And Thanks, my brother. question is... Um, the Baptist, right, and, and, and Jesus, they both uh, spoke to the moment of, of the Word of God to, to the people. Am I correct on that? Yeah. Well, Mark, I'll let you answer Jose. But what I heard, yes. <laughs> okay. On that regard, why doesn't the Church today speak to the people and to the leaders of the country, especially in foreign countries, where there's so much corruption and poverty and, and uh, what's the word, and contamination. You know what I mean? The, they, they're, they're contaminating all the rivers, they're contaminating all the beaches, and I don't hear the church uh, even here and or, or overseas saying anything about the corruption that's going on. I mean, that's that's why John the Baptist lost his head, and that's why Jesus was crucified. Because at the moment, at the date, like to, like today, that's what the church has got to do today with what's going on, especially in, in, in those foreign countries where poverty is so rampant. Yeah. 
Yeah, Jose's got a great. Yeah, Jose, I thought I thought the same thing you did, a little bit like John the Baptizer going to Herod and saying it's not lawful for you to have your your, your brother's wife. Okay, Jose, we're going to let you listen to this on the radio and Mark uh, question, which actually is in tandem with one I was thinking of myself. What about going to the leaders of tribes or even nations and speaking the gospel to them, and also the kinds of things Jose mentioned? Well, I, you know, obviously the relationship of the church and the magistrate are are issues that uh, have been around for hundreds of years, um, and there are many different pitfalls in that. I think what we dis- have discovered ourselves is, is we are sent first to preach the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that in Christ there is repentance and forgiveness for our sins, and that through Christ we have a Redeemer and a Heavenly Father to whom we can go, who orders all things for the good of those whom he loves. We also find in some of our mission fields that there are occasions, particularly at the local level, where we are ministering, where we do engage the magistrate, uh, whether he's a, a, in a legal uh, situation or tribal clan chiefs. I mean, we have one mission field where, yes, we're, we're interacting with it, and with the tribal chiefs, and we're actually seeing with slowly, slow, patient opening of God's word with them that some of them are expressing a genuine interest in the things of the Lord. Uh, there have been times where the magistrate has wanted to take action against us in a particular situation, and when things have push comes to shove, we have... Uh, we have had to, to warn him that the things that he is doing here today have eternal consequences. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the church adopting a particular political agenda in these things, um, that's going to come down to your doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the spirituality of the church, and whether that is the church's particular calling or as distinguished from the calling of her individual members to be active in the society in which they live. Well, Mark, we've got another call. I don't want to take too much yeah, yeah. time. But but let, let's say you, uh, missionaries are in a country and they work with a tribe and the tribe practices cannibalism. Uh, there shouldn't there be some speaking with the, the tribal leaders and others? That may not be the first thing you say, but, but given the fact that this is a blatant, uh, disobedience to the moral law of God? Would there be some point where that issue would be specifically addressed? Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, that's a wonderful teaching opportunity in the in yeah. the work of the mission. Okay. So no, you'd never want to let that one go. Okay, yeah. Gary from Great Mills, welcome to a visit to the pastor's study. Thank you. Good to be back. Um, I had a question for Mark regarding sending out missionaries as uh, at least a pair, preferably four. Interesting. And okay. I was thinking about uh, reaching out to, like, uh, unreached people groups in a tribe somewhere, or like Wycliffe Bible Translators, where they're translating God's Word into a, a language that has no scriptures. And wanted to thoughts on that so so you're you're i'm not quite sure gary that i understand you're wanting to know do you do they do they send missionaries to those areas or do we work with wickliffe what, what's your specific question gary well how, how do you send a group 
to uh, to a tribe in, in uh, an unreached people group. Right. Yeah. In okay. Indonesia. Okay. And they don't have a Bible, for example. Right. There you go. Okay, Mark. Good. That's a great question, Gary. And that's a huge challenge because obviously using the Word of God is one of our primary tools there. And so we're always very grateful for those who have gone before us um, who have done some of the translation work. We have one field now where the whole Bible was only completed about half a dozen years ago. The New Testament's been around for more than a quarter century, but the whole Bible just in the last half a dozen years. And that presents particular challenges, and one of the things that we're going to ask our missionaries to do is to, become, to acquire a proficiency in the language. Because if there is not a translation of the Bible, they're going to have to themselves work with language tutors, learn the language, and produce their own translation as best they can to make until there can be a, a published uh, Word of God. Excellent. Yes, yeah, so very. Well, that's an aspect of mission work we don't don't even think about as we should. Mark, um, okay, you see, you're you're not only have been on these foreign fields, but but you are an avid student of foreign missions, past and present. Encourage us. Got a couple minutes left. Encourage us about what God's doing in the world today. Well, I mean, without being country specific, uh, for for reasons you can all figure out. Um, there are some amazing things going on in in Asia. Uh, you think about some of the, the big countries there, and you begin to realize what the Lord is doing. You look back over the last 50 or 60 years, and the, the first thing to keep in mind is no matter how bad things might seem at the moment, Christ always preserves a remnant. I mean, I have seen people talk with people who in the bad days have had to bury their Bibles. And yet here they are, when the pendulum swings the other way and things open up a bit, uh, they're able to bring the Bibles out, and they're able to walk down the street without hiding that they're on their way to worship God. Uh, There is no power on earth that can crush the Church of Jesus Christ. And as that pleases the Lord to cause the pendulum to swing to the open side or the closed side, we realize that in many places of the world, naming the name of Christ is going to cost you something, big time. It could cost you your job, your university position, your apartment, your family could disown you, whatever it is that can cost you big time, and yet... From the very time of Christ, that has been the history of Christ's church. In, in one country where persecution is especially severe, I have talked to many of those who have been there, who have been in prison. Uh, the way out of prison is usually very simple. All you have to do is deny it, is sign a piece of paper denying Christ, and, now get this, and promise to stay away from his worship. Interesting. I mean, it's like the evil one knows how powerful the Holy Spirit uses worship in the lives of his people. Interesting. And so 
And 90% of those who are picked up in these sweeps and sent to prison interminably refuse to deny Christ. And am I right? There's often a number of conversions in, in the prison through their testimony, and do you have the beginning of a church? You know, sometimes the prison guards are the most fertile mission field on the face of the earth. Interesting. I, I remember I one think place a I was visiting where... I think, where, I think there's a know, biblical precedent for that with <laughs> <laughs> Paul and Silas in prison. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember we'd been out doing some house visitation, and uh, we came a little bit late to the evening service because we were tied up in traffic, got there, and my colleague wasn't preaching that night, and I slid into the last seat on the back bench. And uh, next to me was, was a good brother in Christ. I hadn't seen him at all on that visit, was looking forward to chatting with him after the service was over. Service was over, he took off like a shot. And I was thinking, oh, boy, you know, did, did I not greet him in the right way? Did I do something that offended him? And I was thinking about that, and about five minutes later, he came back with a big grin on his face. And he says, hey, hey, Mark, did you see that guy sitting in front of us? And I said, well, yeah, but I didn't recognize him. And he says, that was my guard in prison. <laughs> Isn't that something? And he came to Christ, <laughs> and he went to prison for it. And I didn't know he was out of prison, so I had to see how it was oh, with him. Fascinating. What a wonderful positive note on which at God's sovereignty. Mark, give us contact information for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church for those who want to find out more about uh, missions and how they're to be done biblically. Um, we don't put a lot of our particular missions work on the Internet for obvious reasons. Uh, not only do we, label, we labor in some closed countries, but we also labor in countries where kidnapping of Westerners is a high-volume industry. And so you won't find much particulars, but general principles you'll find on the OPC website, www.opc.org. OPC is for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Well, thanks so much, Mark. Hey, listen, we've come to the end of another visit to the pastor's study, and my thanks to Mr. Mark Bube for a fascinating uh, uh, journey together and doing uh, mission work, God's work, and God's way. I'd appreciate your feedback or your questions. You can email me at visitpastorbill, that's all one word, visitpastorbill at gmail.com. And remember, apropos of our discussion today, tomorrow is the Lord's Day, so be sure to set apart time to worship the Lord in a church that is faithful to the Word of God. Remember that missions exist because worship doesn't. And remember, too, everyone needs a pastor. You've been listening to A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York. Our website is www.reformationmetrony.org. Again, that's www.reformationmetrony.org. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. Listen in next week at 12 noon for another edition of... A visit to the pastor's study. Remember, everyone needs a pastor.